the more you do and take risks, step out in faith that it's all going to work out, then the easier it is to do it the next time and the next time and the next time. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Mike Flynn, and if you're just joining us, the mission of my podcast is twofold, to guide you to an encounter with your own potential and greatness, and to show you it is possible to leverage who you were made to be into a business or a platform that impacts the lives of others and to help you design the life you want. My guests are entrepreneurs and leaders who have had what I refer to as an impact moment and are using their platform to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. That sounds great, right? But none of that is possible unless you take action in your own life. If you've listened to my show for any length of time, you know that each guest is part of a series such as leadership, courage, the comeback, halftime, and for the next few weeks, finding your purpose. Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? I feel called to do something, but I'm not sure exactly what my purpose is. How do I find it? These are common questions and statements many of the world's most successful entrepreneurs and leaders have asked throughout their lives. And incidentally, these are some of the same questions and statements you and I may be making or asking on a daily basis. And guess what? That is a good thing. Never stop asking questions. Always try to advance from your current reality to your desired reality. The very word question implies a desire to find the truth, to find the meaning, and to find purpose about your life. We spent the last few weeks talking about grabbing the opportunity bull by the horns and riding it into submission. But to what end? Why should we do that? What will that accomplish? Well, my hope is that the guests you will hear from these next few weeks will stoke your thinking, inspire you to begin answering some of these questions for yourself, and show you that it is possible to be an entrepreneur driven by a strong purpose and mission while serving others and living the life that you want. Now, enough from me. It's time to hear about our incredible guests. A hot wife, two fabulous kids, 14 Rwandan sons and daughters, a cool dog, a crooked federale sent to kill him? Well, that is how this week's guest, Dave Munson, begins to tell the Saddleback Leather Company story on his website. So how does a volunteer English teacher from Oregon end up starting one of the world's most premium leather bag companies in Mexico, of all places? Well, it all starts with a spirit of adventure and optimism instilled in Dave from a young age. One thing you will notice in Dave's story and in our conversation is that Dave raises his hand and says yes a lot. He believes strongly that his saying yes and trying new and unfamiliar things is one of the keys to success in life in every area of life. Additionally, it is clear that he isn't afraid to ask for help and that his faith in God is critical not only to himself, but also to his amazing hot wife, Dave's words, And they continue to grow by giving to and empowering their workforce. Dave is a funny and chill guy, and there are a lot of timeless gems mixed into our conversation. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Dave Munson, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am excited to dive into your story and learn all about the bullfighting and the 
uh, corrupt federale and the spear throwing into leather bags and all of these uh, amazing adventures that you have been on. So I, uh, I am excited to have you on the show. Hey, uh, actually, I'm glad to be here. This is going to be fun. Yeah. So I, I, I always like to start with finding out a little bit more about who you are as a person so that it kind of sets the stage for how you think and how your heart works and your brain works. And, and you definitely have a spirit of adventure. If anybody goes to your website and reads the story or watches any of your videos, that is something that is incredibly present. It's present everywhere. Were you brought up this way? Did you, did your family, did you come from a family that was adventurous? You know, I wouldn't say, well, you know, sometimes dad would just go, Hey, load up. We're, we're driving from Oregon, you know, to New Mexico. Just load up. And I remember one time we, we squatted in a house. Like, <laughs> like, like illegally? Illegally. There was a vacant house and my dad, someone gave him the key and said the owners are like in Wisconsin or somewhere. <laughs> so just, but just don't unpack your stuff. You know, so we do stuff like that. We would, we would go spur of the moment stuff. We, I lived in 23 houses by the time I was 18. And, and dad wasn't on the lamb or anything. It was just, we moved. <laughs> he was always, he was always, uh, you know, I was watching this movie about, it was a documentary about these, this really poor kids, these really poor kids, three different kids, and they followed their lives for a couple of years. And one of them said, yeah, every year we, we move. And I was thinking, oh, that's too bad, you know, the poor kid. And then I thought, wait a second. I lived in 23 houses by the time I was 18. <laughs> but yeah, I don't feel sorry for that kid. And and actually, it really helped me to make new friends and um, quickly. To uh, yeah, I, I think it was a great benefit. Why did you guys move twenty three times? Dad would have like just better deals. Always looking for a better deal. And ha- one one time we we moved three times in the same neighborhood. One we moved from Third Street and then like straight over, like you could see the back of the house to Fourth Street, and then. From Fourth Street, the house next to it. So that is wild. Yeah, we just just what we did. That is wild. I guess that does impact. So you get used to just you know, let's go. It'll work out. Yeah. So like like, like driving down. I got a job in Acapulco one time, uh, trying to get people to go to timeshares, and and okay, yeah, it was pretty lame. Uh, but I was like, okay, let's just go. And so I got down. You cross the border and you just, okay, how do I, oh, I need a permit for my car? Okay. And so I backed up, went, went in and had to go back to the U.S., you know, kind of figure it out. And, but you just go. As a kid, was that, was that hard? Like, did you feel as a kid that that was challenging, like bouncing around all over the place uh, and, and having, being forced to make new friends? And, and how, did that, how, did that, how does that shape your, your life now in terms of what you're, able to do and get up and go and do all of the things that you do. I'm not really sure. I know here's one thing that my dad would wrestle with me. He played cards with me, take me fishing. He built confidence into me. And I think when, when you get kids who, whose dads are very present with them and moms are very loving and present, I think, you know, I came from like kind of a, you know, a healthy home. And so that's confidence. And so, you know, one guy said, if you want your kids, and it was an adolescent psychology class. He said, if you want your kids to have confidence, then kiss your wife. 
Mm, nice. Kiss your wife in front of your kids, and that gives them all the confidence. It gives them security. It makes them feel very comfortable because they know that mom and dad are, are healthy. And I, I, I love that. And I've, I've noticed on your videos that you're... You're, you always refer to your wife as my hot wife. <laughs> yeah, she is. She's pretty hot. <laughs> so, actually, when I first saw her on MySpace, she sent me a message on MySpace. That's taking it back. And uh, 2006, and there she was gutting a deer. <laughs> and I was like, well, a picture of her gutting a deer. I was like, oh my gosh, now that's hot right there. <laughs> that's wow. Was this a deer that she had killed and she was dressing? No, no, actually, she was part of a ministry from church. They said, hey, we're going to go clear out these deer in South Texas. You know, they're like, you're allowed like five a day kind of thing. And they package the meat up and they send it down to the border of Mexico and they, you know, take them in there and, you know, give out meat. And so uh, they said, we need help gutting deer. So she goes, oh, yeah, I'm totally all over that. So. (laughs) So how did you land this hot wife? All right, so we were, my brother and I were in Panama, this little surf beach place, and they had an internet cafe there. So I go in, I was checking on, on my leather bags to see how they're doing on eBay. This was at the end of 2000, no, this was beginning of 2016. And so I checked to see how they're doing on eBay. My dad was doing the, you know, putting them on there for me, shipping them and stuff. And then after that, I went to MySpace. And there she was. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> she asked, she said, uh, hey, where is Multnomah Bible College? That's where I went to school. And I was like, so I wrote back, is this some sort of a pickup line? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, and so, yeah, we started, started talking and I, I got back to the States and I flew in to visit her about a month later, started kissing. Got married, <laughs> and now you guys have uh, you have you have a whole bunch of kids, right? It, it some of your own, and then a bunch that you have do- adopted, right? Yeah, so we have two that I had the pleasure of making. <laughs> and then we had, and then we, had uh, we have I know of about fourteen other ones. <laughs> so my wife, she, she's uh, yeah. So in Rwanda, we go to Rwanda and Uganda. We haven't been to Uganda, but we have a couple of kids there. And when we go to Rwanda, they come up and, and see us. And so they're orphans, or they have a one parent, and we're mom and dad now. That is so awesome. Yeah, we go about back every well, once or twice a year to see them, spend time with them, pour into them. Yeah. It, just, it just builds all the confidence in the world. It's really cool. That's amazing. So now you, you have your two kids that you had the pleasure of making, and you've got these, these, uh, <laughs> you know, these adopted children. Who've adopted you guys? How do you? How are you taking this spirit of adventure and this kind of free spirit that you that you were brought up with, and your and your dad and your mom, and you now deploy in your in your life? How are you instilling that in your own family? Oh, by playing Legos. <laughs> by, <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, so uh, we go to Mexico quite a bit. For the, we have a factory there, so in fact, we're leaving on Sunday. We'll be there for a month. And we were just there for a month. So, you know, it's summertime right now in Texas, 100 degrees. Uh, there it's like 75, 80 degrees, kind of rainy, high elevation. Yes. So, yeah. So uh, we, go, we go with them there. We do a lot of filming for Battleback. So, like, we did a trip around the world once for the, the, the making of this canvas 
bag line that I'm doing. So we went to Scotland for the canvas. It's the best canvas in the world. We went to Kenya for the for how they do their seams. We went to New Zealand for how they the stitching patterns. It's really cool how they make sails. And so we're putting together this documentary, and we took the kids along, and they just get used to Scottish accents and people <laughs> jumping up and down in Kenya, and they, so they just get used to it. They're, it's, it's a different way of moving form. around. They're not, they're not moving twenty three homes, but they're they're uh, experiencing cultures in different ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, also you know, they say you're training your kids whether you like it or not. Yeah, you're training them to be jerks. <laughs> or, you're training, or you're training them to be a good husband or a good wife. You're training them what kind of a spouse they should look for, you know? Mm-hmm. So with us, though, we're training them. You can go anywhere in the world, and it'll be okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's back up a little bit. So before you met your, your wife, you were, you were living, you're from Oregon, and somehow you end up in Mexico. And that's really where your story and Saddleback and ultimately you being able to marry your hot wife begins. So how did a guy from Oregon end up in Mexico? When I was in a youth group in church in high school, uh, the youth pastor took us on a couple mission trips down to Mexico, down to Tijuana, Tecate, right along the California, you know, uh, Mexico border. And so I took Spanish. I was taking Spanish in high school. Anyway, I just ended up fall in love with Mexico. And so I graduated, got my bachelor's, and I was a youth pastor for a few years. And then I, I thought, you know, I'm burning out. I'm going to go back to, go, back to uh, go, go get my master's. So I applied to all these colleges, these universities, and they were like, uh, sorry, sir, but your GPA wasn't high enough in your undergrad. <laughs> so I was like, what? But look, I, I, did, I didn't even have to study. I mean, I, I was like, class school was easy for me. Like, I, did, I didn't have to take notes, and I still got a 2.29. Are you telling me that I'm not, <laughs> telling I'm not good enough for the, your master's program? So, at the same time, someone said to me, hey, Dave, we really need someone to go down and teach English down, in, down near Mexico City. Yeah, this volunteer English program for poor kids. Could you, could, would you mind, would you consider doing it? And I thought, man, that sounds so cool. So, I... I went down, taught English for a year in a town called Morelia. It's, a, it's actually a ministry called Centro Noé, or Noé International. A really cool place. Taught English, taught guitar a little bit, just strumming. Uh, hung out with kids, traveled around Mexico. Uh, and while I was there, I had a leather bag made. So, I was looking for a bag like Indiana Jones would carry. Yeah. And I thought, what would he carry? I had this bag in my head. I looked around for it, couldn't find anything like it. But I found a guy making bags. And so I said, hey, senor, um, if I draw this out, can you make it? And so sure enough, he said, yeah, see. So I did. And, and before I got I said, God, I want this to be the coolest bag ever. <laughs> like this <is laughs> super coolest bag ever. So for me, actually, it ended up being really, really cool. Mm. So, and so everywhere I went when I got back, people were going, oh, man, where'd you get that bag, sir? Where can I buy one of those bags? That's so cool. And I was like, well, I made it myself, designed it myself. So, uh, yeah, I went back down to Mexico and had some more made. So you, you end up, you're teaching, you get this bag made. It, it's a big hit, not only 
for yourself, but when you go back to stateside, everybody's wanting wanting the bag. And you move back to Mexico, and I think specifically to Juarez to a hundred dollar a month apartment. And and so where does the bullfighting and the corrupt federale all mix into this story? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I went down to teach English, I get a chance that I was down there in Morelia, really cool town. And it's actually a big city. So they had a they had this fundraiser as a bullfight fundraiser for this this university. And I thought, oh, that sounds like fun. I'll I'll go. So <laughs> so I go. It's this big bull bullfight arena, you know, bull ring. And they have these bulls coming out. This little little bull came out. You know, and there were college students down there, like five of them with the, the Olay cape things, you know? Yeah. So this little bull comes out of the chute and everyone starts laughing and you know, there are I don't know, thousand people, maybe a couple thousand people. And so he comes running out and everyone's laughing and giggling and and he, they're like, Ole, you know, the whole crowd and everything. And then he, then the next one they they bring out is like a junior size, like teenager bull. And everyone's like, Ooh, you know, that's and he came out and then the third one that came out was this like full on like big mean looking Toro, right? And he had one straight horn, one curved horn, and he and and one of the guys was one of the college students was like, "Yeah, done. <laughs> yeah, there's no way I'm standing down here for that thing." So they said, "Okay, we need a volunteer from the crowd." And so, you know, big tall white guy, I stood up, raising my hand, "I'll just, <laughs> let me do it. Let me do it." And uh, so yeah, they called me down and. I jumped over the wall and they hand me this cape and bought the bowl. That was really cool. What gave you the the confidence or 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 maybe you had had one or two cervezas that you shouldn't have and Oh, that was part of it. But <laughs> I think I just had a beer. But hey, that loosened me up for something. But seriously, how often does anyone get a chance to fight a bull? Like, do you know anyone who's fought a no, bull before? Just you. Just me. So yeah, I've never, I personally have never met a, another person in my life that I know about who's fought a bull. Because they're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was really fun. Talk, man, for, for like three days, I was like pumping my fist everywhere I was going, yes, yes, that was awesome. <laughs> it was really cool. Yeah, I can only imagine how cool that would be. And so you're, that, this, this was while you were teaching. This wasn't while you were doing saddleback yet right right so i had my and that's when I, that's when i had my bag made okay and top with that bowl with that bull skin karate chopped <laughs> him when he went by <laughs> <laughs> yeah so then i i moved back up to the states with my bag that's where everyone was asking me about it and they said and i thought man i need to have some more made so i i went back down to mexico and i had eight more made by the same guy he cheated me uh, but anyway i got eight more made and I took them back up and I sold them off the back of my, my, I had an old Toyota Land Cruiser and I, like a 72. And so I hung them off the rack, had a rack on it, it had blue sitting on the tailgate. Blue's your dog, right? Blue is my black lab. Yep. Logical name, by the way. Logical name. Australia blue. is pretty common. Blue. Yeah. I was, I was going to name him Dave and I forgot. I was like, <laughs> what was I going to name him? <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, so I sold the bags. Uh, off of my Land Cruiser, and they sold really fast. And I thought, man, there's something to this. So that's when I moved to Acapulco, and because I wanted to be around there, and I ended up selling real estate near Mexico City. They said uh, 
I, I was like, I told this guy, Pepe, I said, Pepe, I hate my job. Do you know of anything? And he goes, well, someone wants me to go sell real estate. You want to go with me and see if they want to give you a job? So, yeah, yeah. I was around a golf course. So I, I went up there and, and the guy says, so interviewing me. So can you, can you sell real estate? I was like, of course. Can <laughs> of course I can. So, yeah. So I uh, started selling real estate around a golf course, just land uh, at his resort. And yeah, it worked out. I was there for a couple of years. And while I was there, the Federale story. So my boss, the guy who interviewed me, Carlos Mancia, he'll never hear this. He doesn't speak English. Real, <laughs> real jerk. And he wanted, I mean, he was a nice guy, but. Uh, he wouldn't want him as a brother-in-law. And <laughs> so he, he said, yeah, I, m- I met these, this, these, uh, this, this Jewish group out of Mexico City, and they wanted, to, they wanted to do this big land deal, and it was outside of the country club. And so anyway, I had met some other guy. I, I was selling his land also. And Carlos found out about it, my, my boss. He said, hey, I heard you're closing this big, huge deal. He goes, I want my cut. I want a commission. And so, so I told the landowner, Mario, real, that guy was bad. And he said, he said, I'm not giving him a commission. I'll just have him killed. Oh I was like, I was like, well, I was trying to act, not to act surprised. I go, so like, how does that work? And he goes, oh, there's this federale I know. He'll come in and he'll do it for two to three thousand, you know, twenty, thirty thousand pesos, you know, two to three thousand dollars. And I go, oh, that's, that's all? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, <laughs> I go, how does he do it? And he goes, oh, he'll just take him and throw him out in, the, in, the, in front of a truck in the middle of the night. He'll just throw him out in front, in, on the highway. And it'll look like he got killed. And I go, oh, okay. So then I realized at the time, I was like, crap, I don't have a commission, he, uh, a, a contract. He's going to owe me $40,000 for this whole deal. And if he'll knock him off for that, what would he do to me? So, <laughs> so I said, Mario, I need you to sign this document. You know, I have, my, I have my mom sign things. It's just for my files. Could you sign this, please? It, you know, and, and he wouldn't sign it. Next thing I know, this federale shows up. And he, started, he goes, are you Dave? And he, so he knew everything about my, like my work visa when it expired. He knew everything. Anyway, kind of a long story. We don't have time here for it. But uh, we became friends. And, <laughs> and he stayed in my house that night. And see, I had known his sister. Kinda, that's all. And <laughs> not like in a biblical sense. But like I knew, like I had, was acquainted with her. Yes, yes, <laughs> so, yes, yes. And uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, we ended up. Uh, so the guy that was sent to kill you becomes your buddy. He became a buddy. He thought we were going to go to Africa together. <laughs> he, he wanted to go to Africa. And anyway, he knew Blue. And I knew you are sister. the ultimate salesman. I mean, like you got the guy that was sent to kill you to become your best friend. It just it seems like. Like you say yes a lot, like, like even when you didn't have a chance, like your dad moved you a lot and and you just went with it. And then there was an opportunity to go down to Mexico and become a minister. And you said yes to it. And then there was this opportunity to sell real estate. 
and you said yes to it. How has saying yes helped you succeed and, and grow this great company that you guys now have? Well, you know, I guess it's just being optimistic. I mean, it's having the confidence, I believe, that dad instilled, mom and dad instilled in me. But the more you step out and try things, then the easier it is to say yes. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't say, I wonder if I can do it. You just do it because you know that you did it last time and you didn't know what you're doing. And then you did it the time before and you didn't know what you're doing. So, you know, you, you, it's a lot, a lot with traveling. A lot of people don't travel because they're afraid or, and then they get to where they're going. We, we see this all the time when we take people to Rwanda. And after, when they get to Rwanda, they go, oh, this isn't that bad. I thought we were going to be like bathing with crocodiles and stuff. <laughs> and, you know, like cobras everywhere. And, you know, no, no. When people get, get there, they go, oh, is this all? I thought it'd be like scary. And so the more you do and take risks, step out in faith, that it's all going to work out, then the easier it is to do it the next time and, and the next time and the next time. I love it. I love it. You, you, you obviously have this great deal of confidence that was instilled in you from the time you were a kid. Have you ever struggled with insecurity or either personally or professionally as you've grown this business? Well, when I was in high school, I had really crooked teeth, so that didn't help. But then I got braces. <laughs> Seriously, braces really helped me in my confidence. So. It wasn't fair that my parents let me keep those for that long. They were really jacked. Um, uh, but what was the question again? So you have a lot of confidence, but have you, you know, have you ever struggled with insecurity in your in your entrepreneurial pursuits? Yeah, yeah. So I ha- hired a business coach who became uh, like my CEO. By the way, a business coach's job is to help you develop. And then lose, and then work themselves out of a job because you're the you've got to the level that you can run it on your own now. So if you ever have a business coach who wants to be partners with you, run, run from run. that, run okay. from that. <laughs> just trust, <laughs> just trust me on that. It's, it's like a, against the code of ethics. Anyway, say no to that. <laughs> yeah. So the CEO, he became my CEO, and then after a few years, things were really, really off, and so I, I uh, let him go. And now I had this company with all these people, and I was like, hmm, how do you do this? Because <laughs> I, I had hired him to do all that stuff. And so I was like, how do you do this? And I was like, oh, crap. How am I going to, how do you be a CEO? I was a little, I was struggling there for sure. That was 2013. That was like end of, end of 2012, beginning of 2013. And I was struggling with my self-confidence. Can, am I able to do this business? Hmm. And how do you lead people who, who are really good at what they do and who know more than I do, that sort of thing? So, yeah, I struggle with that. I got a, a, a business coach, another one, and this guy was fantastic. His name Larry Briggs up in Oregon, and he just coached me over the phone. He flew in. He was my coach for about a year and a half, and then I didn't need him anymore. And he really helped me to see how to run a business. I'm, st- I'm not all that good at it, but I'm still, still working at it. Still have to get practice all this stuff. That really helped me out to get out of that insecurity uh, stage there by having someone to walk along with me. But I certainly didn't think I could do it by myself. Mm-hmm. What did you learn specifically about how to lead people who are, really, who are already really good at what they do? 
Oh, yeah. So it's a whole lot easier than it sounded. So, for example, there's a guy, the, the story that my coach told me, Larry told me, is there was a, uh, a guy, a new captain took over running this, uh, this Navy ship. And he had like 80 people on it, it was a real small ship, real small boat. And he took it over and he, he interviewed every single person, had them all come through his, his uh, place. And he said, you know, what, what's your name? Where are you from? Uh, why'd you join the Navy? You know, what, what, why'd you join the Navy? What do you do? And then he said, what can, what can we do to improve it here? And <laughs> someone said, the food sucks. We're out on the water all the time. The food's horrible. Oh, and by the way, it was the worst performing ship in the Navy. The true story. Worst performing ship in the Navy. And uh, most expensive to, to operate and all that sort of thing. And so uh, they, he, he sent off his cooks uh, to culinary schools in Italy or wherever they ported. And next thing you know, when they would port in San, in San Diego, all the other captains would meet on his ship because he had the best food. And, and then another guy said, yeah, I paint the ship. Me and six other guys, we paint the ship, and it takes us uh, six. We we do it every two months. We paint all the way around the ship. We paint it six times a year because by after two months, it's already rusting down these down the sides. He said, "Well, what would you do to improve?" And he said, "Well, I we would we would take the we would get stainless steel bolts and nuts, and we would you know slowly replace them around the ship." So the guy asked, the captain asked for money for that, and they, the Navy said no. So he paid for it, you know, out of his, out of, on his own credit card. And they went from painting the ship every, er, once every two months to painting, it, painting the ship twice a year, once every six months, because wow. it, wasn't, it wasn't rusty. And in fact, they adopted that for the whole Navy. And so what he said is the people on the boat know how to run the boat better than you do. So all you have to do, a, good le- a great leader asks great questions. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that. So uh, I-, I do it all the time. I say, man, that's a tough one. What, what do you think we should do? Because someone will go, Dave, Dave, we got the big problem. Dave, we got the big problem. Oh, it's this and that and these three people and that. And I go, man, that's tough. What do you think we should do? And they go, oh, well. I think first we should do this. I've put a lot of thought into it. Let me show you my presentation or whatever. And I go, <laughs> man, this is great. Instead of me coming up with all the solutions, my job is that I, we hired really good people. So all I have to do is ask them, man, that's a great question. What do you think we should do? So it's that one. What do you think we should do? And by when? Just, just remember those two words, by when. In Spanish, para cuando. <laughs> para mm-hmm. cuando. By mm-hmm. when. So someone goes, yeah, I say, hey, what do you think we should do here? And they go, oh, we should do one, two, and three. Oh, that's great. Great thinking. Great. By when can you have that? Mm. And so you make agreements. Your business will grow at the speed at which you make agreements. Ooh, I love that. Wow. And so I just make agreements. Oh, great. And they go, I don't know. I, I got to look into some stuff. And I'll go, great. By when will you know? By when can you give me a date? And they go, oh, my, uh, Wednesday? I'll, I'll, I'll be able to look into it and give you a date on Wednesday. Great. Talk to you Wednesday. And then on Wednesday, great. By when? Ooh. By when? And that's a great question. What do you think we should do? Seriously, they know how, they know how to do it better than I do. Yeah. 
they're just waiting for you to empower them or to give them the freedom to communicate what they already know, basically, I would imagine. Yeah, and they're in that world, that specific finance world or that marketing world or that you know, a customer service world or a manufacturing world. And I go, man, that's a tough, oh man, what do you think we should do? Mm. Mm. And then they just jump right on it. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. What did you have to give up personally, physically, mentally, emotionally in the pursuit of this dream of building Saddleback Leather Company and and creating this amazing organization and all of the other offshoots that you guys have done. And, And let me kind of preface that question by saying that every decision that we make has a has a cost attached to it when we pursue something that we're passionate about it literally means that we're pursuing something that we're willing to suffer for so so what did you have to give up in or in, in order to pursue this dream uh i was working with youth that's what i love doing and so yeah i was just i was hanging out with youth working with at-risk youth and and just youth and so I had, I was working with young, a group called Young Life. We were trying to get Young Life going in Mexico. And, and so I was being mentored by this guy in El Paso when I was living in Juarez. And so I got so busy doing my bags that I had to give up working with youth, which, you know, was my dream. I just, it was the best job in the world. And so I, I had to stop doing it because I was always going to the post office and answering questions and going to get more bags from the bus station and, you know, all of that stuff in Juarez. And I didn't have time for youth. And so I felt really guilty about it, actually. I was like, man, I thought, I thought God wanted me to work with youth, and here I have this business. It kind of accidentally happened. I, I was just auctioning the bags off, trying to make money so I could work with youth. So I didn't have to do any begathons or anything. You know, so I'll, okay, I'll ease my conscience. I'll support a few youth pastors with this extra money that I'm, I'm making. And then, all right, let's do a few more. And then next thing you know, we're supporting all these people. So instead of me around the campfire with 30 kids, it was, you know, 30 people around 30 campfires with 30 kids. Mm. So if you do the math, it worked out. Yeah. It was, yeah. It ended up doing So that's when things started changing. But I had to give up the active, ministry. I had to give that up. But it turns out that this business is is bigger is a bigger ministry than that was. Oh yeah, we're going to talk I actually I actually want to talk about that. Yeah, I want to talk about that in a minute because I can tell that giving is a a big thing for you guys. So you've you've grown now from just you and your dad filling orders to how many people now as a company? Uh, we have about 70 people here in the U.S. 70 people in the U.S. and then a factory in Mexico. Yeah, we have a couple hundred people in the, at the factory, maybe a little more. That's amazing. But 
You know, the factory, we have a daycare there, free daycare. Uh, we have an Eng- that, that same English program where I taught English back when I had my first bag made. Yeah. I called them up and said, hey, if we fund it, will you open a school for the kids of my employees in, in, in Leon instead of Morelia, a couple hours away? They're like, yeah, absolutely. So we have marriage classes, parenting classes, financial classes uh, in the U.S. and in Mexico for employees. Wow. There's a, a women's sewing program in, in Rwanda with that Africa New Life Ministries that we work with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we, give a, we support them quite a bit. So all the women get a sewing machine when they're finished with their year of vocational training sewing. And the, but the factory sewing machines sponsor those sewing machines. So in Rwanda, it's really, we have a really cool thing going in here. You do have a really cool thing. And, you know, it's obvious that you guys are a bunch of givers and that you live that out, not only personally, but through the business. So I'd love to talk about what the impact of giving has been on you guys, both on the business side and the personal side. So my wife, Suzette, she's amazing. I've got an amazing wife and she's not going to hear this. So it's not <laughs> a, I'm not just saying it because I want anything, but she's uh, like, seriously, <laughs> I got an amazing wife and like 11 different women call her their best friend. She's just an amazing woman and uh, constantly helping people, full of compassion, totally Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, she was always giving. She was always a very generous and giving person. And uh, I was too. So whether that's the way we are. Because see, that's the way you're supposed to be. Mm. And so when someone is not doing what you're supposed to be doing, they're really missing out because we're made to, to be, to help and be in community and to serve others. And so it's kind of weird when I see someone being really like self-centered, I'm go, man, you're really missing out, buddy. Mm. You're, it's, it's, you're missing out on like total peace and joy. And there's like a lot of fun and you get this boring life all centered around you. So anyway, we're doing what you're supposed to do what people are supposed to do. And it's kind of like when, you know, you're at a restaurant and so, and the waiter gives you the ticket and you go, Oh, Hey, sir, excuse me. Uh, you didn't put this extra meal that we ordered, you know, after afterwards, you didn't put that on the ticket and they go, Oh my gosh, you're so good. What a nice guy. Oh, I can't believe your honesty. Oh man. And I go, what? Dude, that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> like, I'm not doing anything out of the ordinary. That's what I did. What you're supposed to do. Anything else is theft. And they go, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, uh-huh, yeah." So yeah, so we've always been like that. And in in the business, uh, sometimes we've we've and we don't broadcast it, but sometimes we give too much and then we <laughs> get in trouble. So we're not too financially minded. We have people now to help us with that. <laughs> but we just trust that when God puts something on our hearts, we better do it or else we're going to be in trouble. So, or we're going to miss out on blessing. So we do it. Yeah. Well, you guys have started as the result of just, you know, the, the, the success of your company and this giving natural instinct to give, you've started how many offshoot companies that are exist solely to serve other people? Well, we have, I wouldn't say companies to that are doing that, but we, Give to a lot of different company, a lot of different organizations that are serving people. 
Right. It's a lot of work to get to, to get all that going up. We I, we have the daycare. We fully fund Synthro Noe. We have all the programs. So and we we give out of our personal money too. So we get the earnings from the company we give, and then we give our out of our own money. You know, it only how much money does someone need to be happy or to feel secure in retirement? How much money? How much money is that? And you go, mm-hmm. well. You know, and some people just can't get enough. They can't get enough security. And so we feel like we have enough security. And it was even before that, you know, and I don't say this in a way that it's like bragging, but rather in a way that's influencing because surely there's someone listening to this who is going, man, I'm kind of a tightwad. <laughs> Maybe I should be giving more. Maybe I should be outwardly focused, you know, and, and if you're listening, you're right. You should be giving more. And if you haven't even started, I tell people who don't, who don't give, uh, start off with 1%. See if you can manage that. Mm. And so even a single mom, and she's making $1,000 a month, just trying to give $10. Just see what you can do. Give, see, you think you can do $10? And she's like, ah, oh, but it's tied at the end of the month. I don't know. Give, give, 10, give 1%. Start there. And you're pretty, pretty soon you're going to see that 10 or 20% or 50%, whatever it is, depending on who you are, it's not really that much. When you look, when you think about the impact that giving has had, not only in your life, but in the business, how has that kind of spirit flowed out throughout the entire company and organization as a whole? Well, people like to be a part of something. I mean, no one wants to be a part of, of making the stockholders richer for IBM, you know? Right. Who's excited about that? <laughs> and, you know, you put a bigger carrot in front of those guys, they're gone. But people want to be a part of something that's significant. So when they see that lives are changing, they see that we're pouring into people, they say, hey, that's me. That's, yeah, that's, I'm like them. That's, yeah, that, that, they represent me. If I had a company, I'd do the same. Well, I don't have a company, but I'm really good at accounting. So I, I want to be a part of this company because they represent what I'm like. And so they're contributing towards, cause I couldn't do it by myself. And so they're, they're doing, they're, they're also contributing and giving, contributing and giving. So it's given a lot of people purpose mm. in our business. And, you know, and, and then when I share the vision of, Hey, here's a massive giving in the future. And not only that, but instead of us giving, let's say one year we could give a million dollars away. That'd be really cool. But what if, through our influence and our example and the way we do business, the way we give, that sort of thing, what if we could get a thousand businesses to give away a million dollars a year? That'd be a billion dollars. That'd be super cool through influence and talking about it and discussing it. And, you know, like the Bible says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing when you're giving and stuff. Don't be all bragging about it. So as long as you're not doing, you're not talking about your giving. And, and so that people think more highly of you, mm-hmm. if you do it so that p- other people do it, I think it's a really good thing. But if you're doing it, if you're bragging about yourself, you're, you're doing your good works so that people think, wow, he's a, such a great guy, then you have the wrong motive. But, it, but if you're doing it, impacting people, impacting businesses, impacting lives so that other people will do it, that's really cool. Now, 
This is where we begin to, to transition it into a little bit of Coach Dave. This is when Dave puts on his coach hat and, and tries to give a little bit of some, some advice, some insight, some wisdom to some aspiring entrepreneurs or, or existing entrepreneurs about how they can grow their own businesses and, and fulfill their purpose and mission. And so what are some of the, f- the challenges that you face today? as a business owner and how are you overcoming them and, and how, how can other entrepreneurs follow your example to surmount their, their challenges? Uh, the big one, when I took over the business in the, in 2013, in January, I was like, Oh boy, <laughs> I need some wisdom. I, I don't know how to do this. I need to have wisdom. What I did was I did this. I've done this so many times before it never worked, but I thought, okay, maybe this time because it's like a big deal this time. So I said, so I, I grabbed my Bible and I closed my eyes, opened it up, pointed to a verse and thought maybe God will like reveal some great wisdom to me or something. And it didn't happen. So I thought, well, <laughs> I thought, let's try Old Testament this time. So I kind of flipped back to the back again, nothing. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to read Proverbs, which is wisdom literature until I until wisdom just like like I wake up in the morning and I'm wise. You know, like Solomon, you know, or something. I feel a tingle in my spine and now I'm wise and I can run the business. So in there it says, seek after wisdom, seek after knowledge, seek after wisdom, seek a- I mean it's calling to you from the rooftops, from the corner. I mean it is at the city gate screaming your name. You gotta seek after it. Like it's more valuable than pockets full of rubies. You gotta get wisdom. And I'm I was going are you kidding me? This is what I'm doing. I'm trying to get wisdom. And then I read something and I was like, oh, duh. It says in there somewhere toward the, toward the end, it says if you, that a king rules his kingdom in peace and successfully it, when he surrounds himself with wise counselors. Mm. And I was like, oh, wait a second. Wait a second. So I read the rest of I read Proverbs again, and it was like, yeah, go get help. The, the, the wise person or the, or the humble person, he uses those two words interchangeably, the wise and humble, they have their hand raised saying, I need help. Could someone help me? And the proud or the fool, he uses those two, two words interchangeably, and it says, uh, the proud man says, don't you think I know what I'm doing? Why? Do you, why, why would I pay someone to tell me something I already know? I know how to do everything. And they say they'll fall flat. So I raised my hand and I said, uh, Larry Briggs, could you help me run this thing? And then, hey, Trent Funk, I need your help. Could you help me to run this business? Hey, Colin, could you help me run this business? And I started asking for help and letting the people on the boat do it. So anyway, asking for help is the key. If you're going to try and figure it out all yourself, you will be miserable. Your marriage is going to suck. You just, seriously, you have to ask for help. Dude, amen. I, dude, I love that. That is, that is right on the money. I, I talk a lot about getting kinetic in, in trying to elevate one's peak performance and growth and whatever it is that they're doing. And you can only get so far by yourself. You can get a lot farther when you ask for help. And there's this quote, I forget who, who said it, but it's like, it was like, when you ask for help, the the universe will conspire to help you or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it is, but I love that proverb that 
that that wise kings surround themselves with wise counsel. And as we as we begin to wrap things up, Dave, I want to make sure that people know where they can go check out your company, check out your beautiful bags, which are like each and every one is like a piece of art. Oh, thank you. And uh, I'm, I'm I live in Santa Cruz, California, and Dave Castro, who is one of the uh, big wigs at CrossFit headquarters constantly is tagging you on a motorcycle bag that he has and uh, you guys should you guys should ping him because he he'd be great advocate for you guys you know dave i don't know dave but i'm just saying i follow dave and and uh, cuz i do crossfit and and dave is always tagging you guys in his in his pictures when he takes pictures of his bike <laughs> Yeah, actually, Greg Glassman uh, is a huge Saddleback Leather fan, and he's been forever, for a long, long time, he's loved our stuff. And so uh, he reached out and said, hey, maybe we could do something together. Oh, that's cool. So CrossFit and Saddleback Leather, are we're, actually, we're doing something kind of fun. And... Uh, and you know, I, when I, I met Greg, he flew down to Mexico to, to the factory and checked out everything. We hung out and, uh, he just said, oh my gosh, or I said, oh my gosh, we we're like, we have the same philosophy of doing business, the same everything. I mean, if we care about quality and we, and we don't care about the money, the money will come if you care about the people and seriously, what a great guy. And we, we were, I realized, man, this is a really great kind of a business to connect with. We, we seem to have really rabid fans. People are super into CrossFit. People are super, people will buy forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 of our briefcases. All oh, my colors, gosh. I'm seriously, people, and people have a, their Saddleback Addicts and Saddleback Addicts Anonymous and all these jokes they play, <laughs> but, but they just buy everything we make. And so anyway, we're going out to the CrossFit Games. Are you going to the CrossFit Games? I am not. I am not. I will be watching them from the comfort of my couch. <laughs> <laughs> At least I'll be doing push-ups while you're... Tired. I know. I'll be doing burpees. Burpees. New burpees while you're... So we're, uh, we're going to be out there August uh, at the CrossFit Games in, yeah, in Wisconsin. Up. So yeah, we are connected with him. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Dave. Yeah, he's a good guy. Well, where can people connect with you online? So they go to saddlebackleather.com. Or if, they, if you forget that name when you get home and you're like, what was that name again? Just Google leather briefcase. Oh, nice. Do you got those two keywords? <laughs> if you Google leather, you'll see us. But here's the deal. If it says ad or sponsored, don't click on it. It costs me like 75 cents. <laughs> so just like go down to my listing and then you'll see it there. So Nice. Nice. Well, we will be sure to link to that and, and all of the other stuff that you guys are involved in in the show notes. And I just have a, a few more questions, three more questions, kind of rapid fire, and then we'll, uh, we'll call it a day and, and send you off to do the awesome things that you're going to do. So the first is, if you can pick any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? <laughs> Relationships. Oh, really? Yeah. So if I could, uh, I like people and I get along well with people. I seem like they like me. I don't know. I mean, most of them anyway, uh, I think. <laughs> maybe I'm just too, yeah, <laughs> maybe I'm totally oblivious, but I think people like me. 
So if I could turn that into a superpower, oh my gosh, where I was like, I could just, people wanted to hear what I had to say right away because they liked me and they felt they knew that I cared about them and all that. Yeah. So I would say relationships. That'd be really a. That's awesome. What are three lies that you believe entrepreneurs tell themselves? I would say um, that it costs a whole lot of money to get your business going that you can't get it going on the side. You have to fully commit to it. And third, I would say I should be able to get this, this darn business up in six months. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just got to put your time in. You got to put your time in. Seriously. I, I remember one time I was thinking, you know, if I saw, if I were selling 10 bags a month, Oh my gosh, I would just retire. I would just go and volunteer somewhere. I just, I mean, well, what, what, what else would I do? You know, that takes a long time to where we were getting 10 bags a month sold. How many are you selling a month now? Uh, you know, I don't know because we sell a whole lot of different things. So we sell a lot of wallets and uh, yeah, I'm not sure. You're selling more than 10 a month. We're selling more than 10 a month. That's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, but, and, and you love what you do. So you're obviously not retired, you know, the last question is how will you Dave measure your life? I will measure my life by how much my kids uh, love God and are confident. Mm, I love that. Because my first and foremost, most important role on this earth is a father. As a, as a, as a husband first, then a father. And if, if I don't do that very well, I didn't, then I, I failed at the number one thing. Mm. And I know there are people who have messed up in that whole category, but they can change. They can, they can, Hey, I didn't know. I just, I was jacked up myself and I, I just trying to be like my dad and my dad was a total, you know, asphalt hole. <laughs> so now I just, I realized what I did wrong and I'm sorry. And, and it work on it. I mean, go for it. But I would say being a, being a husband where my wife feels loved and feels valued and feels beautiful. And then secondly, my kids uh, love God and they have confidence. Dave Munson, you, you are awesome, man. This has been a blast. Thank you for sharing so openly and, and for sharing uh, your wisdom and stories and some laughs along the way uh, about how you've grown your company and how, how other people can, can be inspired to, to seek help and to, and to not just listen to their own ego and and serve others along the way. And so thank you again for, for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show and impacting our audience. Hey, you know, it was really cool to be here. I'm, I'm glad you had me on. Thanks. You're very welcome. Don't forget about the awesome gifts I have for you, the Clarity of Purpose Scorecard and the Six Bridges to Personal Growth and Wellbeing. Head over to theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash scorecard and download them today. Dave, thank you for sharing your wisdom and your insight. I love your adventurous spirit and I'm grateful for the timeless gems you dropped in our conversation, especially the importance of keeping good and wise counsel to help us make great business decisions and life decisions. If you missed any of the key points from my conversation with Dave, we've got you covered. Head over to theimpactentrepreneur.net 
forward slash 73 for all the key points and highlights of my conversation. And while you're there, be sure to check out the Lawton Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them. Until next time, go make an impact.